Good morning. Good morning to those of you watching online as well or participating live or on demand uh, as well. So I uh, just want to say a few things. Uh, you know, we're focusing on GVCM this week uh, primarily because the first uh, draft choice of the Vikings was a Haitian. You know that? No, this is planned way ahead of time. We had inside information, no. Uh, but uh, anyways, we, we have a long-term relationship with GVCM. Uh, we, as uh, was sh shared in there about the orphanage, we, we, we took the lead in building that and paying for it. We had a campaign back in about 2006, I think. It was the campaign that built the gym, uh, part of that was to build the orphanage. And in these pictures, you'll see some of our five ochres working alongside various Haitians. And uh, you'll see tents that our team would stay in on the various work trips. And many of you participated in those work trips uh, over, that, over that time. And so um, I've known Eve for probably 30 years. And uh, it's just so exciting to see how this has taken off. And then, uh, as well, we continue to support the ministry primarily uh, through staff salaries for the orphanage and school and um, supporting Eve as well. So it's a really exciting ministry. All of it was in the video, but I just want to point out a couple of things that make it particularly special and unique. Um, one of them is that it's a Haitian ministry led by Haitians. And so, uh, you know, it talked about 200, I think five are non-Haitian that are on staff. It was started, I think it was started by Eve's father, but in its present form, pretty much Eve, and Eve is Haitian. And so it's just an incredible ministry model in that way. It also, an aspect of the ministry is that it works through local churches. And so their network of churches is where they bring the medical help, the schools, all that sort of thing is through churches. They continue to work with the pastors and develop the pastors and all that sort of thing. Uh, we're right now looking for a coordinator for our Haiti ministry. And so if that's something that might interest you, maybe you've gone there and you have a heart for that ministry because we've continued to send teams throughout the years, uh, you might want to um, put coordinator. Uh, not, you're not signing up for it, just for some more information. And maybe you haven't gone, or at least not with Five Oaks to Haiti, and you go, but that kind of thing really, really interests me. If uh, that's the case, we would send you there to get you oriented to it. So uh, not having gone doesn't mean you can't do it. And uh, so if you're interested, write coordinator on your card. Uh, so last week we kicked off a brand new series. Uh, it's called Your Story in God's Global Mission. And... Um, and so we started with Jesus speaking to the 11 disciples after his resurrection in Luke 24, where he explains to them in their confusion about, you know, what is this? You know, the Messiah died and the Messiah is now with us, you know, the, their confusion. He said, how can you be so confused? The whole Bible was about this story, about my story, about my death and my resurrection. And, he says to the disciples, the whole Bible is about, the Bible meaning the Old Testament that they had, is about the mission of God's people to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins, for the, for, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's what the whole Bible has been about. 
And so that's what we're doing this week. We're, we're looking at how the Bible, Jesus' Bible, Paul's Bible, the disciples' Bible, the old, what we call the Old Testament, how that story is about the mission to the nations that Jesus talked about, preaching um, repentance, leading to forgiveness to the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And so I want to start with an article. There's an article that John Stott, maybe you've heard of John Stott, hopefully you've heard of John Stott, if you've been a Christian for a while, great British, the late John Stott, um, great British pastor, theologian, author. And back in the 1970s, he wrote an essay called The Living God is a Missionary God. And I think it's one of the first readings for the Perspectives course, if any of you have taken the Perspectives, many of you have taken the Perspectives course. And he begins the article about the living God being a missionary God by writing, millions of people in today's world are extremely hostile to, Christian, to the Christian missionary enterprise. They regard it as politically disruptive because it loosens, they say, it loosens the cement which binds the national culture. Religiously narrow-minded because it makes exclusive claims for Jesus, while those who are involved in it are thought to suffer from an arrogant imperialism. Okay, so this is 1970s that he wrote this. And he said there's a lot of hostility. People still hold to what he writes here, the, even kind of the three criticisms of the Christian missionary enterprise. But a lot has been added on uh, in our day, uh, in the time that's come between. Because the 70s was pretty much a live and let live. So why are you missionaries going there? We don't live so much in a live and let live world. We live in a world of major competing ideologies. And so uh, while you still have a lot of people who think this way, you've got a lot of very vocal people, oftentimes uh, powerful influencers, who look at Christianity and see it as an evil competitor uh, to their ideology and um, as something that needs to be crushed. And they have a zeal for their ideology and a missionary zeal in particular that actually dwarfs the missionary zeal of most average Christians. They are more excited about sharing their point of view, their worldview, than a lot of Christians are about sharing Jesus and the life that we can have in him. Uh, so there's still a lot of hostility for uh, multiple reasons. And Stott, second paragraph in that article <clears throat> Here's what he wrote. It is essential, therefore, for Christians to understand the grounds on which the Christian mission rests in light of that hostility. Only then shall we be able to persevere in the missionary tasks with courage and humility in spite of the world's misunderstanding and opposition. More precisely, biblical Christians need biblical incentives, for we believe the Bible to be the revelation of God and of his will. So if you're new to Christianity or you're not yet a Christian and you're investigating Christianity, you need to understand why are we spending six weeks on world missions? It's the Bible. It's the Bible. It's what the Bible does. And so it is essential to understand that God has called us to a missionary enterprise. We do need courage and humility, which is what the Bible offers us. And we need the, a biblical incentive. That's why we're doing this series. 
So when we downplay uh, or ignore the mission that we're supposed to be doing, we miss out on God's best for us. Uh, our, you know, if I ignore it, our church ignores it, you ignore it, uh, the reality is the mission is going to go forward. But we're going to miss out on God's best for us because we need a mission, we need a purpose. So we need to get the mission right, and then we need to get right to the mission that God has called us to. So I said last week, uh, your mission isn't custom-made for you. It's not like, you know, we come to God and say, I need a purpose, so give me a purpose that makes sense for me. It's God-centered. You're, you are custom-made for God's mission. So uh, because understanding the Bible and your part in God's story doesn't have to be a mystery, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18. In Genesis 18, we have one of the restatements of the mission that God gives to Abraham and his descendants. Okay, so we'll be reading that in a few moments. But before we do, we're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to illuminate his word to us. So please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for choosing us and inviting us into a life with you. As we look to your word, we ask that you would give us understanding. Teach us how to seek you first. Open our hearts to the work of your spirit. Remind us that we are called and equipped to join you in your kingdom work. Father, in the midst of uh, our world right now, the thing that just keeps coming to our hearts and minds is the, the war in Ukraine. Father, we pray for those who have lost loved ones. We pray for the countries who are taking in refugees by the millions. Uh, we lift up this war to you and pray for peace. We pray for justice. And um, we just pray, Father, that uh, our hearts would not grow cold towards this and that we would keep praying and uh, guide us. Guide us, Father. Guide our leaders, our world leaders, to do the best thing and the right thing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So uh, as we normally do, uh, we have someone read, usually a five-ochre, read our scripture. Uh, but during this series, we are having missionary partners that we have as a church uh, read the scripture. And uh, today's is Abigail Mayo, who's from uh, GVCM and representing GVCM out in our commons, and so I've asked all the missionary partners to talk a little bit about their ministry before they read the scripture. So let's uh, watch the video. Hi, my name is Abigail Mayo, and I am here representing Global Vision Citadel Ministries in Haiti. We are an overwhelmingly Haitian organization with over 200 Haitians on staff and only five Americans. We're on a mission to bring the hope and the light of Christ into the darkest parts of Haiti. We do that by building the church, impacting communities, and supporting the children. Several years ago, my husband and I was looking for a place to more fully serve the Lord. And when we heard about GVCM, we quit our jobs and moved to Haiti. Many of you probably know Pastor Eve Prophet, who has been here several times. He is our executive director, and he sends his love. We have the privilege of working with him, and I have the honor of being here with you today. We have a table in the back, and we would love to come talk to you after the service. 
There are three passages for today's message. First is Genesis 18, 17 through 19. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Galatians 3, 7 through 9 says, Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you, so that those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And finally, Galatians 3.29, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. All right, so Jesus said the whole Bible, the Old Testament, the whole Bible points to this mission of taking basically the gospel to the whole world. Uh, in the reading there in Galatians, for example, if you read after you know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all have the Great Commission in various formats, and then you just start reading through the rest of the Bible after the book of Acts. And when Paul, for example, talks about the Great Commission to the world, he doesn't quote Jesus. He quotes what was said to Abraham, and he does that over and over again, and so does the rest. I mean, they don't even go back. The Great Commission, they go back to what Jesus said. It's the whole story of the Bible. So at Five Oaks, we have a course called Story of God. Many of you, not most of you, have taken it. Six-week course with an overview of the whole Bible. And the way that we do that course is we break down the Bible into two acts, Act 1 being the Old Testament, Act 2 being the New Testament. We break it down into scenes. And so we have seven scenes in the Old Testament. We have three scenes in the New Testament, ten scenes overall. And so I'm going to go scene by scene in the Old Testament, uh, just pointing out some, just touching down on a passage or two in each scene. And so if you don't quite understand why, are, why am I using that language, that's why I'm using it. If you haven't taken Story of God, um, I encourage you to, to take it. Uh, we, uh, we had so many people sign up for a spring version of it that we have a waiting list, but we may be doing one in the summer. Uh, if you're interested in it, write Story of God on your Connect card, and we'll put you on a list to let you know when the next ones are coming up. So um, we're going to start with the very first scene of the Bible, which is creation. Genesis 1 is where it takes off. And with each one of these scenes, I'm going to give you a passage where it takes off. Um, it pretty much continues on in various ways, each one of these scenes. It's not like it's a self-contained scene, but creation, we begin there, Genesis 1. Uh, we learn that humanity is created with a purpose uh, and, uh, and a mission. Now, the mission looks different than after Genesis 3, significantly different because of what happens in the next scene. Uh, but in this scene, we are given uh, responsibility to rule the earth and to really function as priests in this world and, uh, and the world being the sanctuary of our God. And so as part of that, we're called to create cultures, create uh, a thriving world for humanity, to build families to build strong bonds with each other, to have a strong bond with God, to walk with God. 
And so humanity in this first scene that lasts two chapters is living at peace with God and with one another. Then we go to the next scene, which is separation, which begins in Genesis uh, 3. So we decide, humanity decides, Adam and Eve decide, and we have followed suit uh, with Adam and Eve. We want to rule without God. Uh, we're called to rule under God's leadership, but we want to rule without God. And because of that, the conditions for human thriving and for peace are deeply impacted. And so right there in Genesis 3, right at our greatest failure, that's going to mark all of our failures, uh, God launches a mission. And um, things are going to get much worse before the next major movement in God's mission. Really, uh, you might say God promises a mission, but he launches it a few chapters later in Genesis chapter 12. So we go to the third scene, which we call promise, because of the promise that's made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. So we're still very much at the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis 12, God chooses one man, Abraham, and his descendants to be on a mission to bring the world back to him. And really, the fruition of that mission is, to, is a renewal of the entire creation. And Abraham and his descendants are a major part in doing that. And so uh, that mission is related to our passage. So if you have your Bible still open, look at verse 18, where you have this restatement from Genesis 12, and you have it again in Genesis 15, you have it in 18, um, in chapter uh, 18. But here in 18.18, it says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. Well, the same promise is made to Abraham's son, Isaac, where it says, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. And then the same promise is made to Isaac's son, Jacob, where it says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. So it's not just a promise, but it's this mission that's given. And so you have God describing himself to the people of Israel later, uh, starts doing this when Moses is going to the people of Israel and saying, God wants to free you from slavery in Egypt. And he describes himself, one of the ways he describes himself as the, is as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are the three patriarchs. And um, he, to all three patriarchs, he gives a commission to bless all the peoples on the earth, to bless the nations on earth. All right, so there's going to be terms that throughout the Bible are all related to each other when it comes to this theme. You have earth, uh, you have the nations, you have the peoples. Uh, a term that is often used is world, to reach the world. And so these are all some of the ways that it's, uh, it's described in Scripture. And so, well, as I basically said earlier, when Jesus comes and he gives the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations... Uh, when he says, you're going to be my witnesses, beginning in Jerusalem, and then going to Judea, and then to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, it's not something that is new. It felt new to his disciples, but it shouldn't have been new. And that's why Jesus is kind of like, ah, the whole story has been about this. From the beginning, the whole story has been about this. And so, um, uh, as we, we saw um, 
earlier um, in the reading or heard earlier in the reading in Galatians, Paul says this, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. So Paul develops that also in Romans chapter 4. We saw that when we were preaching through Romans not that long ago. And so we who are followers of Jesus have been adopted into the family of Abraham. We are now seeds of Abraham. Those promises that were made to Abraham are now our promises as well. Those commissions that were made to Abraham are now, is now our commission as well. So understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, the non-Jews by faith, and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. There's where the Apostle Paul talks, you know, refers to that. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And then in verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. So we are heirs to the promises, but not just heirs to the promises, we're heirs to the commission. We're heirs to the mission as well. All right, so we go to the next scene, uh, sacrifice. We make it to Exodus chapter 1, second book in the Bible. We find the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, living in Egypt. They've become enslaved in Egypt, and they're numerous. And God calls Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh refuses to let God's people go. So God brings a series of plagues, 10 plagues in all. And we know that the plagues are to convince Pharaoh. And they are there to get the people of Israel out of Egypt and back to the promised land. Not just, but, but the text tells us it's not just for Israel. That what is happening is that God is still, even in getting the Israelites to the promised land, God still has on the forefront of his mind the nations. And so in Exodus chapter 9, uh, this is what God says through Moses to Pharaoh. This time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people, so you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the face of the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Okay, so Pharaoh eventually does relent. Israel leaves, the people of Israel, Abraham's descendants, leave Egypt. And just in this like little passing comment that never as far as I can tell, gets developed in Scripture, except it just is assumed in Scripture, a bunch of other people join the descendants of Abraham. So in Exodus um, chapter 12, 38, when it says the people of Israel left, it says many other people went with them, and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. Many other people uh, went with them. Now, as you're reading the Old Testament, you discover who some of these people are. So remember when the ten spies go into the promised land and only two spies come back and say something positive and say, we can do this. With God's, with God's strength, we can, we can take this land. The other ones are like, no, 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 they're like giants. <laughs> we, we can't go in there. 
The two were Joshua and Caleb, right? Caleb's not a Jew. He's not a child of Abraham. He's not a descendant of Abraham. And all kinds of other people keep showing up in the story and joining them. You have like people like Rahab later in the story. You've got Bathsheba. These are some of the people that make it into Jesus' genealogy. There are people who are not children of Abraham in the genealogy of Jesus. And some of that starts when they leave and other people go with them. Many of the heroes in the Old Testament are not uh, physically children of Abraham. So we get to the next scene, which is law, and that launches in Exodus 20. God gives the law to guide the people of Israel, but it's not just to guide the people of Israel, it's meant to be a witness to the rest of the world. And so before giving the Ten Commandments, here's what the what uh, God says through Moses to the people of Israel. He says, see, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, uh, Moses is speaking, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. He goes on to say, the nations are going to look and they're going to say, what an incredible God you have that he gives you such a just, a, fi- a system that's filled with such justice. Uh, There's a passage in the Old Testament where the people of Israel are called a kingdom of priests. And that's very significant for this mission of God. So I think it's question number five in your uh, sermon application guide for your small group. Uh, Goes into that and I reference a Bible project video that I would recommend that you watch. Um, in preparation to answer that question. Uh, By the way, this week's study, if you normally spend like 10 minutes, 15 minutes before your small group getting ready for it, you will fall way short on time. It's going to be a little bit more of a digging through scripture. So uh, get ready for that. Uh, Make time for that. All right. So another way within the law itself, and we talked a lot about this when we did our justice series months and months ago. Uh, There are all kinds of laws that are specifically about treating foreigners that are living in the land of Israel with justice and with love. And, um, And so, you know, foreigners are, immigrants are put together in the Old Testament over and over and over and over again with orphans and with widows. And the reason they're put in there is because of their inability to really, um, they're they're on the outside, number one. And number two, they don't have land in a world where you have to have land. And uh, so um, there is, you know, constantly God is talking about how they should treat the foreigners among them. It's it's part of this, this vision for the nations. It's not like, take care of yourselves. And if somebody, you know, from the outside is in your midst, don't worry about them. Let them kind of take care of themselves. It's not like that at all. It's, it's the opposite of that. The next uh, last two scenes of the Old Testament are kings and prophets. That launches in 1 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, you've got, you know, these kings and the third king, Solomon, eventually builds a temple. Up till then, the people of Israel have a tabernacle, which is a moving temple. 
And so um, when that temple is built, the idea is that the nations are going to be coming to see the temple and that they're going to hear God's praises being sung and prayed by God's people while they're worshiping in the temple. And so you have all kinds of psalms um, that share how the nations are going to be hearing and, and really commission the people of Israel to speak in a way that the nations will hear. And it's probably because the psalms are the prayer book and worship book of the people of Israel. It's probably in this way. So if I can have uh, uh, Psalm 96. Declare the glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. And that, that just comes in and out of the Psalms about proclaiming God's glory among the nations. Uh, there is also this idea, this theme that runs through the Old Testament that uh, starts even in the giving of the law is this fame, that Israel's fame is going to be a big part of the gospel going to the nations. And so uh, you have Solomon's fame spoken of in 1 Kings 4.31, where it says, Solomon's fame spread to all the surrounding nations. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. And then they give example of one of those um, one of those leaders, one of those world's leaders, a queen. When the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. So it kind of talks about what she did, and then it says, she said to the king, the report I have heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. Is there another slide? But I did not believe these things until I came and saw them with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half of what was told me in wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. And you remember back in 1818, that's what Abraham's people were called to do, justice and righteousness, two sides of the same coin. King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all that she desired and asked, her, and asked for besides what he had given her out of his own royal bounty. Then she left and returned with her retinue to her own country. Uh, as you get to the prophets, of course, there's a lot in there uh, about uh, this mission. You have the story of Jonah, which is such an important story to show how Israel was not you know, really bought into the idea of the outside nations as being our enemies and uh, that we have to kind of resist them, but forgot that those outside nations are a mission field. And so God says it's Jonah, who reluctantly, well, he, he, he goes in the opposite direction. He doesn't want to go to the enemies of Israel. So he goes in the opposite direction, and the whole story about the fish and all of that happens as a part of that. And this is not true just for the people of Israel. This is true for the church throughout the ages. 
you can, you know, there have been, um, the church has resisted, church, God's people have resisted mission in every generation of the church since Jesus told us to go on mission. There, there, there are people in every church who resist the mission to go to the nations um, for all kinds of reasons. With every generation, it seems like a whole new set of reasons come up for why we shouldn't go to the nations. And so, but uh, Jonah is an example for us to learn from his negative example and how the people of Israel uh, reacted. Um, they speak, the prophets speak of a lot of things with regard to the mission. One of the th ways they talk about it is how the nations are going to see the light. So um, in Isaiah 60, for example, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. By the way, um, I just noticed this, doing some deep, a deep, deep dive into Genesis 1 and 2 right now for something we're going to do later. And this is all Genesis 1 language, all Genesis 1 language, if you just think about it a little bit. Um, uh, so uh, drawing from that, and, and you can see God's mission even uh, there in this kind of language. So this permeates the entire Bible that Jesus and the Jewish people had. Um, I want to go back to, to what John Stott said. We need to persevere by, as Bible people, understanding what the Bible has to say about it. We, we are Bible people, if you didn't know that. Uh, we are Bible people. And so we need biblical incentives uh, in, 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 to, to fight the hostility. Not fight, but to go forward in spite of the hostility. It's not just hostility. It's indifference. It's apathy, which, by the way, is a hundred times more powerful than hostility from non-Christians for the mission. Our own apathy, our own indifference is like a hundreds of times stronger. Um, because I, I, I don't in my everyday life, and many of you don't either, you just don't get that much hostility because of your faith. You really don't. You read about it, but you don't personally experience that much of it. But the battle with apathy and indifference is overwhelming in our lives. And so this is clear. This is God's mission to us. And it tells us a lot about our God. Uh, John Sott finishes his article by talking about what do we learn about God. And so kind of using that as a jumping point, I, I started thinking about that. I came up with three things, and, uh, and you can uh, come up with more. One of the questions has to do with coming up with some more, so it's going to take some time of reflection to answer those questions. Uh, but here are three things uh, that we learn. We learn that God is for the nations. He is for the nations. He's not just for Israel in the Old Testament. Now, he's not just for Christians. God is for people, nations, the world that is far from him. Jesus' focus on the outcasts and the outsider in the Gospels, it's shared by God the Father throughout the whole story. God, Father, Son, Spirit, in the beginning of the story, want to take this mission to the nations, wants to renew all of humanity, not just a certain portion of humanity. 
um, meaning just a country, wants to reach into all the nations to pull a people from that. Um, we, most of us here, probably have pretty strong feelings about love for our nation. You know, we, want, we, we love our nation. We're, we're patriotic about our nation. But the United States has no special favor over other nations from God. None. There's nothing in Scripture that would suggest that the United States is like, mm. we talk about it in that way. Uh, I heard a, a person talking about this and said, some of the things that we say about God working in our nation and hopes for what God is going to do in our nation, the way that we say it, if we can't say that about Bangladesh, we're not being biblical. All right, so we love our nation, we care about our nation, but we're not that special. <laughs> All right, not, not in God's eyes. He, he's for the nations, and that can be said to the people of Israel as well. And so, um, number two, God is for the nation. Number two, God is a promise keeper. So he is a covenant-making God. He makes these agreements, and he makes these promises of what he's going to do. And then he fulfills them in his timing. His timing is very frustrating for us a lot of times. We're just like, what is he waiting for? And, um, and uh, you can read in Hebrews this, you know, this whole chapter on faith and heroes of faith. And what do we learn from the heroes of faith? And so many of them, Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 11, they never see the promise. And so towards, uh, in verse 13, after talking about Abraham and Sarah... Uh, it says all these people are still living, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what they had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. In other words, they didn't see it then because there were others that were going to be included. So that together, these great you know, people of faith that were exemplary in their faith would be joined by us, and we're going to experience this together. God is a promise-keeping God. It's just His timing is not necessarily our timing. So we have to trust him and we have to go forward trusting him. And then the last thing is that God loves us and therefore he suffers for the nations. He suffers for the nations. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The world um, is another way of speaking about the nations. On the cross, Jesus bears our sins. We who are from the nations, our sins, when we put our faith in him, are carried on the cross. He, he absorbs the wrath of God against sin on the cross. He absorbs it so that we don't have to absorb the wrath of God, the just retributive justice of God. We are adopted into the family of God. In a moment, we're going to celebrate that as we celebrate communion together. Uh, but before we do that, I do just want to spend just a few moments talking about what I said was going to be happening every week during the series, which is at the Commons, 
is an extension of our response, you know, as we go out uh, throughout this series. And uh, you've heard a lot about GVCM, but Abigail Mayo is out there, as well as some others, to talk about that ministry. I want to encourage you to go by. During the second service in room 102, um, there's going to be a deeper dive into. So if you have the ability to stay for that, you can participate in that. You can ask them about that over at the table. Uh, second one is Reach Global, Middle East, North Africa. Reach Global is the missions arm of our denomination, and they have this initiative going um, with several ministries in the Middle East, incredible ministries. We'd love to take a team there at some point. Kevin Johnson, our former impact director, is uh, leading that. He's the champion for that uh, ministry, and uh, you can go out there and learn more about it. I'm not sure if Kevin's here this weekend, but uh, I know Dave is covering for him. Dave Barr, our impact director, is covering for him if he's not. Uh, you can also go out there and talk to David Niebling, uh, who is a Five Oaks member, and his wife, Margo. David has been leading this uh, ministry called Transformational uh, Leadership Movement, uh, TLM. And what they do is they, they go to several countries throughout the world. They train leaders in a way that is practically, well, they, they, they work a lot on their character. And then they give them practical tools that they can take back to their churches to make disciples and to make more disciples, make more disciples, and then grow those disciples. And they don't just like show up, give them the tools, and leave. They keep going back, and they spend actually more time mentoring those leaders than they do teaching them. And the whole idea is that those leaders will go back to their churches, some will go back to their denominations, and they'll use these tools and train more people, other pastors, as well as leaders within their own churches and people within their own churches to live this out. So it's a multiplying type training and movement, and you can learn more about it out there. Um, so uh, as with last week, I put the same resources that I gave last week uh, in the sermon application guide. If you haven't you know, taken one of those and run with it, Lois and I are running with that uh, video series um, called From Highlands to Islands. And uh, we are having a blast watching that and uh, recommend that for, for family. One of, one of my grandkids was watching with us uh, just, uh, just this week, in fact, as we were watching that. All right. So let's begin our response, uh, part of our worship together right now. And um, we do that by going back to that reality that God so loved the world that he gave his son. And so... Uh, people from uh, the nations today, us, we are celebrating what Jesus did for us. And the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and he says, this is my blood. This is for the forgiveness of your sins. Father, uh, we thank you that we are a part of your mission and that we are recipients of your mission. Maybe many, many generations ago, but someone on the place to somewhere else shared the gospel with someone who shared the gospel with others to the point that now today we are here worshiping you and experiencing life with you 
experiencing the joy of knowing you, of walking with you, being forgiven, being given new life. Help us to be a part of that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.